My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. turn to John chapter 10 today, um, or you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, although I'm guessing you probably have more uh, ability to turn to John than maybe Ezekiel. Um, it's a little more off the beaten path, um, but those are the two passages that our sermon this morning is going to be based on. But both of these as well are more of a jumping off point um, for as we explore our theme today. But if you're going to take a passage away today, it's one of these, Ezekiel 34 or John chapter 10. We've been taking some time to explore over the last couple of of weeks uh, something that I think has become more and more significant in our lives today, maybe more than we ever thought that it would be. Um, we've, We've begun, or we've been taking some time to try and understand together just what and why this is. What and why is is this? What and why is the church? Why is this a thing? What is it? Why do we do it? What has God called it to be? What are, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be? What is this supposed to look like? And, and it's a question that I think we need answered because I think we've all been forced to confront questions like, well, what exactly is the church? What exactly is my role in church? Why do we do church? And why would we come to church? And I think that that we've all been been confronted with these kinds of questions as the way that church has has needed to be presented has changed over the last 18 months. That that suddenly we weren't able to come to church anymore. And now we're able to come to church, but some people have have, kind of like not coming to church as much. And we've been looking at how to answer this question through some of the metaphors found in Scripture. We've looked at the church as the body of Christ, the church as the family of God, and the church as the bride of Christ. And next week, we're going to look at the the last metaphor for for this season together. And we're going to look at probably the metaphor that we've been confronted by the most over the last year and a half. Next week, we're going to talk about the church as a building. And what, what does it mean that the church is a building? And how do we, how do we walk that out as, as we, we sometimes can have a building? And at different points over the last little while, we haven't. We've had a building. We just haven't been able to use our building. And, and so what, is this, what does it look like for the church as a building? But today we're going to answer the question, what is the church? Today we're going to explore the metaphor, the church is a flock. And one thing I want to get out of the way, um, sometimes we as pastors can be guilty of not always being the best fact checkers when it comes to something that fits really well with what we want to say. That, that there are stories that I've heard different pastors preach where I've thought, I don't know that that's a true story, but it sure fit well with your sermon. Um, but one of the things that we can talk about, um, and something that, that I want to do some correction on today, that I've heard that I've said, from, or I've heard said from the pulpit, and I'm sure you've heard said too, and, and actually even when I told Shannon what I was talking about today, she said it, because it's something we talk about a lot from the pulpit. But when the, this metaphor lends itself, when we talk about us being the sheep and Jesus being the shepherd, is the idea that sheep are dumb. 
sheep aren't dumb. Sheep are not dumb. They're actually somewhat smart animals with pretty good memory and, and they've got good recognition skills. They may not seem very smart because they can be very docile. They, they, they can be, you know, they're not particularly forceful with their will, but they're not, they're not dumb. But sometimes, something that I did find as I looked at sheep and, and their characteristics as I prepared for, for this time together is that sheep are really like people. Um, here are some things that I found. Like us, sheep need each other, but they don't always particularly like each other. Sheep can build friendships and stick up for one another. Sheep can feel terribly sad when their friends, the ones that they like, are, are sent off for slaughter. Like us, young sheep are more prone to risk-taking. Lambs love to climb. They're naturally curious, and that curiosity leads to a lot of accidents. Due to their domestication, it's very doubtful that sheep could ever survive in the wild. I know that's true for me. Uh, You know, that that I might be somebody that you would call indoorsy. Um, You know, that that, that if I was left to my own devices, it, it wouldn't go very well. Um, They're prone to anxiety when things are uncomfortable for them. They're skittish and they startle easy. They tend to have a nervous disposition, which is why shepherds know to use a soft voice with them. Um, Something that's really interesting that that I think many of us probably can identify with, maybe more than we'd like to, um, they, like us, have learned to do their best to, to try and hide their pain. They've learned that the more pain they show, the more likely they are to get eaten. And so they hide their pain. And like us, they they have a bent to following other sheep that can get them into a lot of trouble. If one sheep starts to go one way, it's it's common for the other sheep to follow, even if it's not always a great idea, and even if they don't know why. But somebody started going somewhere, and so I'm going too. So I would say sheep are not stupid. Sheep are just a lot like us. Now, I don't know what it says that we think about us, that when we look at sheep, we say they're stupid, when they're just a lot like us, that maybe, you know, that you see a little bit more than you'd like to of yourself, and not you specifically, but we as as people, we we look at, we see a little bit more than we're comfortable with in sheep, and we go, man, they're stupid, without realizing perhaps what we're saying about ourselves. But the more we understand sheep the more we understand why the role of a shepherd is so, so important. And we can begin to discover why this metaphor that God seemingly really loved to use when he talks about us and our relationship with him is so important. As as we look and we understand what what it means to be a sheep and what it means that the sheep have a shepherd, we begin to understand why this is an important metaphor. And what we begin to see as we look at scripture is God really liked this metaphor. That there are some metaphors that God comes back to time and again. We talked about us being a family and that we are the children of God. And that's a place that God comes back to again and again and again and again in Scripture. And another thing that God comes back to again and again and again and again is this idea that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. That he is the good shepherd. That, that we are his his flock. This is a metaphor that that begins, and you can see it all the way in the Old Testament, and it passes all the way through to the New Testament. 
We look at Ezekiel 34. We see a passage that paints a beautiful picture. That When we, when we talk about Jesus as our shepherd, most people think about John 10, and we're going to read that in a moment. But, but I, as I was reading Ezekiel 34 this week, I just thought, this is beautiful. And so, so let's take a look at what it says in Ezekiel 34 together. This is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. This is but God speaking about us. And he says, as the shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all of the settlements and in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and their mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing and they will lie down in good grazing land and there will be feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord. Back in the Old Testament, God gives us this picture of him as the shepherd and how he's going to go find and bring back his sheep. It's, it's the story of the lost sheep where, where Jesus would say, if any of you've lost a sheep, won't you leave the 99 to go find the one? This back in Ezekiel, God is giving us the same picture of, I will go find my sheep wherever they are, and I will bring them back, but I'm just not going to just bring them back. I'm going to give them amazing, wonderful land for them to call their own. And then we see if we move forward to John chapter 10, like we talked about, Jesus will take on the role of this. Jesus will, will take on the role of, of this shepherd. That as God has said, I am the shepherd, Jesus will say, I am the shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd, uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The, the hired hand is, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock is scattered, or in the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And then he will say, um, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I said earlier that sheep are not dumb. But I also said earlier that, that sheep can't survive on their own. Um, the, the ability for sheep to be able to, to survive in the wild has, has been bred out of them. Shepherd, sheep need a, a shepherd. And so as we look at both of these passages, it's it, that while the sheep may not be dumb, we see that they're pretty helpless without the help of a shepherd. And what this tells us is that we're pretty helpless without God's help, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The picture that's painted is, is God saying, I, I, need, I know that I'm going to need to get my sheep out of some jams. I know that they're going to get lost. I know that there's going to be wolves that are going to come and try and attack. I know that my sheep are going to need help. And I will be the one to provide it for them. And, and we see that, that what God recognizes is that we are his sheep. That he recognizes that we need him. That we are pretty helpless 
without God's help. And isn't that the fundamental picture, the fundamental beginning point of the gospel? I can't protect myself. I can't care for myself. I I can't be what I need to be by myself. I'm lost without someone, something to help me, to save me. I'm lost without Jesus. Without Jesus, I will never find my way back home. Without Jesus, the wolves, they will come and they will take me. Without God, I, I, am, I, I am in trouble. And I need someone, something to come and help me. I need Jesus. And these verses give us such an amazing picture of the protection and prayer, or sorry, the protection and care that we get from Jesus. We are sheep in need of a shepherd. But just like we read, the good news is that Jesus is the good shepherd. And the beauty of these two passages is that we can get this incredible picture that when we understand that Jesus is the shepherd and we are his sheep, that we can see the amazing love and care that he has for us. That as we look and we understand that we are the shepherd and he is, or we are the sheep and he is the shepherd, that we see God's amazing, or Jesus' amazing love, God's amazing love when he says that he's not going to run away like the hired hand will. But a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And we'll talk, talk more about that in a moment. The church is a flock means just as Jesus provides for his sheep, we, as his flock, we are actually called to be the manifestation of this picture here for us, that the local church is meant to be a picture of this for how Jesus shepherds his flock. And the church is the flock means that the church, the local church, this body of believers, Hillside Church, needs to be a place of protection and care. That this is what this metaphor means. And we we can see how, how to understand this in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we read that Paul has gathered together the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Now, sometimes, and this is a little bit of a diver- or diversion here, but I, I think it's important for us to understand this a little bit. Sometimes when we read about the church in Ephesus, when we read about the idea of that, we, we, we can have the tendency to sort of think of churches like today, just back then. That when we read about the church in Ephesus, we think of, oh, well, it's just like church. Except there was probably more rocks and dust and dirt and stuff because it was a long time ago. But that's not really how churches were set up and run. See, if you were to talk about the church in Airdrie, you wouldn't necessarily be specifically talking about Hillside Church. There would be, you would, you know, potentially if, you, if we were, if I was going to address the church in Airdrie, well, maybe Kingdom City needs to be a part and Living Springs needs to be a part and, and all the other churches in Airdrie. But at the beginning, at the beginning of all of this, when it would talk about the church in Ephesus, it wasn't necessarily referring to all of these different bodies and all of these different churches with different pastors and leaders and different ways of doing things. It wasn't a bunch of different churches led by pastors and in each church and and the way we think about church today, instead it was, it was like one church. And that's why Paul could write a letter to the church in Ephesus, because it wasn't all of these different and distinct churches where he could write about a problem, and, and some of the churches would be like, that ain't us. Because that's not how church operated back then. It was, was sort of more like it was one church, which is why there was the letters to be able to be written, but it's also like a series of house churches. So it's one church, 
but different meetings of that one church, if, if that computes with you, that, that there wasn't these, these distinguishable, you know, separate bodies all scattered around the city, is it was one church, but the church would gather together in people's homes and, and all, all of that, but it wasn't these separate and distinct bodies. But Paul's gathered together a group of, of what would have been the pastors, the leaders, the influencers of the church in Ephesus, and he tells them this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, now this doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd over one flock. But what it does give us is, is some insight into how Jesus organized his flock for care and, per, and protection. It, it's by his presence in the middle of, of these physical, individual communities of the church, of which we are a part, we are a flock, He's still the good shepherd and, and his presence and his leading is still what leads, guides, and protects our church. But he raises up physical shepherds as well to help care for and protect the flock so that we can become a physical manifestation of, of his invisible work. And so and then he continues in verse 29 to tell, tell us what this protection looks like. He says, I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Look, they don't have the guts to come while I'm here, but once I'm gone, you're going to see these wolves come and attack, attack the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and destroy the truth in order to, to draw the disciples after them. So be on your guard. Or, or, or sorry, <laughs> All right, let's see if we can figure There we go, let's skip to the right verse. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul says there's going to come a moment when these wolves are going to come and they are going to attack. And then he says that even from within you, and don't for I have been warning you about this. So, so don't be surprised when these wolves when these wolves comes. In other words, God raises up leaders, influencers, pastors in local communities to be a picture of the love and care and protection that he has for his flock, that the, the church is to be a place of, of protection because there's going to come a day when we're going to need to be protected. There's something that I want to I unpack for us or just, just for a moment mention to, to you here because sometimes we can think of this role of being the shepherd as, as something that falls simply to me. That, that I am, am the shepherd of this flock because I am I'm the lead pastor. That this is my role that I take on. But that's not exactly how this works. Um, I'm just a sheep. If you were here when we talked about being the body, I said I'm just, I'm just one part. And while certainly the mantle of the shepherd for the flock does fall on me, it doesn't only fall on me. Because while we are all sheep, we also, as those created in the image of God, full of the Holy Spirit, we may all be sheep, but there are times and seasons where we are shepherds as well. 
that, that it's not just there is a shepherd, but as we see in the church of Ephesus, it's not just that Paul called the pastor of the church of Ephesus, but he called people from the churches together and says, keep watch over the flock that the Holy Spirit has given you. This isn't simply a role that we abandon to someone else. See, if you think I am only to be the shepherd here and it's, it's only my job, I've got bad news for you. I am not the good shepherd. I will and I will do my best to be a good shepherd, but I am not the good shepherd. I am just a sheep put inside this role. But there are other sheep. You are another sheep that in our New Testament spirit-filled church, you have also been given the role of a shepherd to help protect this flock from the wolves that Paul speaks of here. And it's really interesting, and this is kind of where I want to, want to stop for a moment and talk about what Paul had to say here, because I think that there is a word, not for this church, although it may be for some in this church, but I think for our church in this moment, in time, in history, in our place where we, we sit right now. Because it's interesting, because when we think about the church and protection, we usually turn our thoughts to protecting the church from what's out there from what's outside, the world around us, that we need to be protected from what the world is going to throw at us. But that's not the place that Paul says we need protection from. The thing that Paul highlights is not, you need to make sure that you're protected because there's wolves out there in the world and those wolves are going to come and get you. Paul says it's from wolves, but it's not the wolves in the world he talks about how the wolves are going to come up, uh, come up from among us, from among the church. Often, the greatest danger to the church comes from within the church. That oftentimes, the greatest danger that comes to the church is not the world around us. It's things that rise up from within the church. Now, this isn't to say there isn't threats to the church from the world. We can know and we can say the world is just looking for, an away, for a way to attack our faith, that there is an agenda by many to unhinge our belief in a moral God because the world we live in does not like to be accountable to any authoritative position. And society today does not like to be told what is right and what is wrong. And we live in a time where people want the right to define that for themselves. This is all true, that, that there may be an agenda, but that is not the greatest threat facing the church. The world is not the greatest threat facing our church, facing the church, facing the, the big C, the, the, the church of God. The greatest threat facing the church is that we are making the church easy fodder for them by the way we're being the church. The greatest threat to the church is that we make it easy for them to come against us. When we make it our priority as Christians to not be about Jesus and the gospel, to not be about caring and protecting the sheep, but instead we get caught up in politics. We get caught up in issues and positions. We get caught up in controversies. We get caught up in the world and our place in the world and what is the church and what the church needs to be inside the world. 
And the church doesn't become about a flock being led by a good shepherd. But we become angry with each other because of how we feel about things. We become disjointed. We lose our unity and love. We become about issues and stances. And we become more about the church and its place in the world than we become about Jesus and his love for the world. That we lose sight of what the church is and we begin to think of church as this institution that needs to become this protected thing inside the world. And we forget that what we're called to do is to show the love of Jesus to the world. The church gets a bad name and people are hurt and broken in the wake of the church. Not because we're preaching Christ crucified for our sins and the love of God. But because the church, not because of an outside force, but the church from within forgets that what we're here to do is point people to Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what caring for the sheep means. To be pointing people back to Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. The moment the church stops being about this, The moment that we as a church put Jesus and the gospel aside and say, no, we are actually about this, is the moment the sheep are in danger of being devoured by the wolves. The moment we as a church, the local church or the big C church, the the world church, the bride of Christ, lose our focus on Jesus and his sacrifice. And we simply become about messages that say, how can we live our best life right now? How can, how can we live our best life? How can, we, how can we have our best, but it's not about Jesus? Or we become about politics, but not about pointing to people to Jesus. Or we become about issues and conflicts and where we stand and where we should stand, but not about pointing people to Jesus. Then we've been overtaken by wolves. And this is why it's so important that the church is a place of protection. But it can only be a place of protection if its number one priority is the gospel. Always the gospel. Pointing people to Jesus. And this is why we cannot get caught up in the wars of the world, the battles going on out there between the right and the left, because we're called to point people on both sides to Jesus. That when we make our stance on politics, when we, when we make what's most important about me, that I am a conservative or I am a liberal or I am whatever, and then my, my faith in Jesus falls somewhere underneath that, we've been eaten by wolves. When we make the church about something other than simply Jesus, we are eaten by wolves. Because we are called to point people to Jesus. And if people won't listen to us about Jesus because of the way we've carried on about something else, that something else, my friends, is wrong. If we are ruining our testimony by the way we're doing, being the church, we've, we've been eaten by wolves. You see... We are a fundamentally lost and broken people. More lost and broken than we could ever get our heads around. But the flip side of that is that God loves us more than we could ever hope for. Jesus 
is in the business of caring for rebellious sheep. And we need to continually come back to this place again and again and be aware of the fact that we are not good at being our own masters. We are not good at being sheep without a shepherd. Wild sheep will not do well. They will be eaten by wolves. And this is, friends, why God has placed us in a flock together. As sheep, as shepherds under the good shepherd to help us all learn and grow. To help us all to be able to be protected from the wolves that would rise up and seek to take our aim and our focus away from God. And this is a beautiful piece of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. The family of God. To be the bride of Christ. That he will protect you that he will lay down his life for you. We are the sheep of his flock, and he is the good shepherd. To the one holding the needle, to the one holding the knife. To the Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. To the one holding the bag. To the one lost in the vapors of working hard to please fake friends. To the one who seeks acceptance from the fickleness of man. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the altar. There is room at the pew. There is room at the table. A place for me. And for you, it's not about being someone else. There's healing and being true. There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yeah.
cross for you. Yeah. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you.